Welcome to Spencer Talks About Stuff. Well, the reviews keep coming in. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and leaving those reviews. For the amendments section, the revealing picture of Sebastian Janikowski that Daryl and I were talking about on the podcast has since been changed on Wikipedia. Daryl and I were also discussing tackling changes at Boise State in relation to keeping players safer. Former head coach Chris Peterson told me recently on the phone that Mick Lose, a former fullback at Boise State, helped Coach Pete implement rugby-style tackling to help decrease the prevalence of concussions. Coach Pete told me that he also worked with Pete Carroll on this, and I have an article pulled up from SB Nation titled, Three Years Later, Pete Carroll's Rugby-Style Tackling Video, Still Changing Football, Increasing Safety. So this article says, back in 2014, Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll, with the help of former assistant Rocky Seto, did something that professional coaches would rarely ever do, release an instructional video that would help teach other teams, coaches, and players how to replicate what the Seahawks do so well. That thing they do so well is tackling, but Carroll felt an obligation to try to help others have the same level of success and technique as Seattle has in that regard because it seems so beneficial to the safety of the game and long-term health of the players. Pretty awesome for Coach Pete and Coach Carroll to do that for their players. Today for Spencer's favorites, I'm going to talk about my favorite local donut, my favorite local coffee, and my favorite regional burger joint that we do not have in Boise. My favorite donut is from Guru Donuts in downtown Boise. The best donut is the chocolate cake donut with chocolate frosting and sprinkles. This donut is best enjoyed with a coffee. And I have to talk about my second favorite donut. The second best donut in Boise is actually from DK Donuts, who have two locations that I've been to, downtown Boise and off of Meridian Road um, when I'm out in Meridian for work. The donut that I love from DK is the traditional cake donut with pink frosting and sprinkles, also best served with a coffee. My favorite local coffee is North Fork out of McCall, Idaho. The owner, Corinne, recently sold the company and North Fork Coffee is under new management. I believe the new owners are still using the same sources and roasters that Corinne was. Um, I have not given the coffee a try since the ownership has changed, but I will continue to support local. That is North Fork Coffee out of McCall, Idaho. The best regional burger joint that we do not have in Boise is without a doubt In-N-Out Burger. And this is going to cause some controversy. A double-double animal style is the best burger of all time. When I was in college, there was always a debate between the West Coast guys, the guys from the South, and the East Coast guys between In-N-Out, Whataburger, and Shake Shack. Whataburger is definitely at the bottom of the list. Shake Shack is insanely good. And if I were from the East Coast, I would probably rank it higher than In-N-Out. But because I am from the West and I get nostalgic whenever I eat In-N-Out, they top the chart for me. Once again, please leave a review for Spencer Talks About Stuff. It is now live on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review and subscribe. Without further ado, here is episode 13. All right, welcome to episode 13 of the Spencer Talks About Stuff podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Leon Samuels. Leon is an attorney, an Olympic weightlifter, and we actually met doing Olympic weightlifting. That's so, right. Yeah. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am good. Awesome. Yeah. You said you've never done a podcast before, and so... No, I have not. <laughs> but you, you said you have listened to a lot, though. Yes. Which podcast do you like? I am a big fan of true crime podcasts. Oh, I yeah. think that's probably how most people got into podcasts. So yeah. 
I was pretty much like everyone else listened to serial. Yeah. Got super into it. And yeah. Now I've just listened to a ton of them, like NPR related ones, random ones I find, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the one that my wife and I like to listen to, it's called generation Y. Oh, have you listened to that one? I haven't. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, it's not serial where the whole thing is like one story. It's each, each one's an individual story, but it's like missing persons, um, unsolved cases and kind of some nice. conspiracy type stuff, but very yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It just kind of, uh, it's a lot of just like different ones. I mean, I listen to ones about CrossFit too and yeah, weightlifting and, but it just kind of is like whatever someone's recommended to me at the time and yeah. check it out. But yeah, there's lots of different ones out there and it's just cool to hear what's going on. Cause in general, I feel like day to day, I don't really listen to the news that much. Oh yeah. Just because like, it's a little bit depressing. So yeah. this, <laughs> this is kind of good just because I become a little bit more aware of what's going on, but it's like in a topic that I'm actually interested in. Yeah. That's why I like podcasts too. Um, and I also, I recently have gotten into YouTube mm -hmm. and there's some YouTube channels that I'm kind of obsessed with. Oh really? But it's certain. Yeah. You can actually pick what you want to hear about instead of just tuning into, you know, whatever Fox, CNN, MSNBC, whatever it is. Right. Um, you can actually just choose what to learn about instead of, uh, having it fed to you. That's right. <laughs> so, um, nice. so, a shtick of this podcast, before I forget, is I ask the guests to bring one of their favorite drinks, and then we each drink one on the podcast. So what did you bring? <laughs> you, you can explain it, and I'll get them ready. Okay, sure. Um, so I don't drink all that much. I oh. drink like maybe a couple of times a year. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say this is a favorite drink. I was just kind of out there, saw it, and I was like, oh, that's a little bit representative okay. of me. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so... Yeah, I brought, um, it's a Bud Light Seltzer Mango, but um, I thought this was really interesting because I kind of think of myself as a casual guy with a little bit of bougie. So oh, yeah, <laughs> nice. Awesome. All right, let's crack these. All right, cheers. Mm, cheers, sorry. It's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, it tastes kind of like a Truly-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually going to initially go with Natty Light. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Like the Natty Light Seltzer? or like Yeah. A, oh, wait. Is there a different... There's Natty Light Seltzers and then there's Natty Light like actually beer. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I was gonna, I was thinking of Natterday. Oh, oh so, the yeah. Natterdays are actually pretty good. Yes, I don't know if you listen... Good. I don't know if you listen to the podcast with um, Tony Kinsley, but we were talking about Natterdays and at my bachelor party, somebody bought Natterdays and... <laughs> I think a lot of people thought they were gross, but I actually, I didn't mind them. I thought they're pretty good. I think they're pretty refreshing. I, uh, last year, I think someone had got me some and, uh, I was like, this could be the summer drink. This yeah. could be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny too, because yeah, Bud Light Seltzer, every, it seems like every beer company is now making seltzer. Yeah. Like we've seen Corona and I think, yeah, uh, I think Coors might have one now too. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Trulies, there's the White Claws. Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, I, I had White Claw for the first time, like I want to say maybe three years ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was totally new back then. And it's crazy how that's become like the drink. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like the drink that all the CrossFitter people will drink. So mm -hmm. they don't get too many calories. In. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, I want an alcoholic drink, but that's similar to LaCroix. Cause yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like that's the big one now too. So yeah. Yeah. And that's what my sister was saying is like, I don't know. Have you, 
dabbled in like the RP diet at all or any of that stuff? Um, I purchased their template at one point. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like follow it. Too yeah, 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 well. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so there's a rule where you can have a snack and it's considered free. If it's less than five grams of protein, five grams of carbs, and five grams of fat, and technically, Trulies and White Claws are, what? but there's there's alcohol too. I mean, there's less than five grams of carbs, but there's alcohol in it, which I think just turn into sugar when you drink them. But <laughs> my sister always jokes that you can, it's one of the free it's snacks, the so you can drink as many as you want on the ah, RP diet. That's amazing. But um, So before, before we got on the podcast, you were talking about, so you're an attorney. You're an attorney. So what what kind of cases do you cover then? Sure. Um, so in my job now, it's kind of just a myriad of things that the county does. So a lot of what I do is general advice for different departments, elected officials in the county. Okay. Um, sometimes they'll have like contracts and agreements that they need some sort of legal review on. Yeah. Um, but also kind of random stuff that you don't think the county does a lot of stuff with. So... I've done a couple of projects that involved probate, guardianship, because um, in those particular circumstances, some people don't have like next of kin or family. Yeah. And so the county under Idaho statute is able to come in and sort of provide those services for people. So. so they provide the probate services. They don't necessarily like collect the estate. Yeah, or- it's a it's a little bit convoluted and I'm not too well versed in that part uh-huh. yet, but Essentially, the county treasurer becomes the person who uh, administrates the estate. Okay. Um, and then we're just kind of in there to make any filings on behalf of the treasurer, um, whether that be sending out notices to uh, to creditors for like any assets that they might have remaining. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so whatever the treasurer has to wrap up as far as like assets that that person has. So, okay. Yeah. And then guardianship. Some people don't have family if they become incapacitated and so the county will come in and kind of act as that person for them gotcha um i had never well i had heard the word probate a lot before i think just like you know in different contexts but i didn't know what it meant until recently when my parents sat us down and started talking about like like giving us instructions about what to do if they pass away and so um yeah, I was very well educated on all those things <laughs> when that happened. So. I know. I feel like those are the terrible, not terrible, but like the kind of eye-opening conversations you start to have with yeah. your parents or even like your friends about like as you get older, you're like, okay, what are you going to do about your retirement? Yeah. What, all this stuff that you just never thought you would actually have a real conversation about. And then yeah. now it's coming up and you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um are, are your parents in Boise or? Um, so my dad is in Middleton, so okay. he's fairly local. My mom lives in Pennsylvania, so she lives uh, across the country now. Okay. Um, yeah, we I grew up in Boise, so okay. uh, they were both here at some time. But then they got a divorce when I was in college, and so now they're like in their separate yeah. states. So. Do you ever go visit her in Pennsylvania? I have, yeah. Um, yeah. Two Christmases ago, I saw her in Pennsylvania. She lives in this super, super small town. Yeah. So we didn't really do too much, but it's crazy. I I guess because I've lived in Idaho, I just assume things are just like so far away from each other. Like yeah. you drive in Idaho for hours and you're still in the <laughs> same state. Yeah. And then 
for her, she's like, oh, you can take a train to New York if you wanted to. Or yeah. like there's all these different states that are so close by. So is she in like eastern Pennsylvania though? I want to say yes. She's in this town called Chambersburg. So it's probably two hours out from Baltimore, I oh, want to okay. say. Okay. Um, but I don't know which direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, when so Debbie and I did our honeymoon on the East Coast, and that was eye-opening for us because I, I had been over to the East Coast for, you know, football, and then when I was younger, my parents took us to Boston, and my great-uncle has a house in Maine, so we got to oh. do all that stuff, um, but I hadn't been there as an adult, and so we rented a car, and it was very eye-opening how it's like, oh, I didn't know, we're like in Virginia already? Yeah. Like, it was just weird yeah. like, being able to cross all those state lines. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've, I haven't traveled abroad really other than being born abroad um but that's kind of how i picture europe being like i did not know that you were born abroad i was born abroad where yeah. were you born i was born in seoul south korea no way mm -hmm. i didn't know that yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah. i thought you were born here for some reason yeah but. no i mean i for all intents and purposes i like grew up here and so yeah. i don't really have any like solid memories of korea or whatnot yeah my uh dad met my mom while he was in the air force so he okay. was like stationed in South Korea. And so so. is your dad American and your mom's Korean? Yes. Or, okay. Mm -hmm. I swear I've met so many people like that. Yeah. Where their moms are Korean. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, yeah, it's a little bit convoluted too because, so I was adopted at birth. Oh. But my mom is biologically my aunt. So, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. So um, my biological dad sister um, is who I call my mom. Okay. Yeah. And so they adopted me at birth and yeah, that's kind of what it was. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Family taking care of family. Yeah. And it's, so my dad or the person who would call my dad is African American. So okay. gotcha. it's just like this crazy yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. kind of family. But yeah. So I like grew up in Idaho with my black dad and my yeah. Asian mom. And, um, but yeah, it was cool. It's yeah. a cool upbringing. It's a fun awesome. anecdote to have. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So do, have you gone back to Korea ever? I haven't. No, no that's totally, um, bucket list thing yeah um definitely want to be fluent in korean i yeah. i guess my mom said at some point i was fluent and then when i was in kindergarten i guess i started to like intermix the languages like english and korean when i was talking to my teacher uh -huh. so my mom was like petrified that i was going to have broken english so oh. she went complete english oh wow yeah and so i know it's probably stirring somewhere in my head yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um can yeah. you understand anything right now or? um i think i could understand some like nice niceties like thank you hello yeah. like um but not like a full-on conversation or anything yeah yeah um and there there's a lot of american influence in seoul right i think so yeah yeah, yeah. um and i think it's i mean obviously you go to any other country and you kind of feel as an american every time i've traveled abroad you like i feel really stupid mm. because you go to somewhere like luxembourg and they speak like uh, French, German, and English. And it's like, okay, I know a little bit of Spanish, but yeah. that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, it's totally true. Yeah. And I'm really surprised that that hasn't caught wind here, like in America, like teaching young kids, like a second language. Cause yeah. I feel like that is like sort of the prime time for you to teach anyone a language. Cause I feel like kids really catch on to those things pretty quickly as they're younger. I, I think so recently I've heard, I've heard of it happening a lot more now. Oh, um, than like when I was younger. Sure. Um, but yeah, my, my buddy Daryl, who was over yesterday, he said they're teaching their kid English and Spanish and oh. their, their kids too. Um, and then he was telling me that there's a, there's a physician that he works with who's teaching all their, 
all three of his kids how to speak Mandarin. What? Yeah. And it's just like he's sending them to a class so they can learn Mandarin. And he's like, a lot of business is done in that language. And if they can understand that, they'll understand a lot of different things. That's so, awesome. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Um, yeah. Debbie, Debbie and I have Korea on our list and we actually bought tickets to Tokyo. What? So we're going to Tokyo uh, next spring. Seriously? Which, oh my yeah. gosh. Pre-Olympics. Yeah, pre-Olympics, and hopefully, I mean, I know that the country will be kind of locked down. There's probably not going to be places that we can go or heightened security or whatever, um, but I'm, I'm just hoping that the COVID stuff dies down by next spring, so yeah. we're able to still go there. Yeah, I've only heard amazing things about Tokyo and, like, Japan in general. So, yeah. Yeah, my uh, friends went there last year, I want to say, mm-hmm. and this particular friend that I have, she... I mean, she's very, like, adventurous and fun, but she's also, like, she likes sort of um, nicer things. Yeah, <laughs> and she yeah, doesn't yeah. like to be too inconvenienced. Yeah. But she loved Japan. She, like, raved about it, which was completely surprising to me. But she just talked about, like, all the food tasted amazing because yeah. they have, like, strict rules about the use of preservatives and, like, additives, I guess. Uh-huh. And so all the food you get, even if it's, like, not Japanese, traditional Japanese food, she's like, it's the best steak I've ever had. Yeah. It's the best this I've ever had. Yeah. And she just, like, had a great time. I told Debbie, um, I mean, we're not, I wouldn't say that we go out of our way to go to, like, fancy restaurants. Like, we're totally content eating fast food, mm-hmm. especially when we're traveling. Um but I told her after watching the Jiro Dreams of Sushi documentary, mm-hmm. I'm like, we're we're gonna go there, yeah. and I don't really care if you know. I'll, I'll save up for it if we have to. You yeah. Know? And I I think I I looked it up a while ago, and it was like two hundred and fifty dollars a plate, oh. and now it's like three hundred. So I'm sure by then it's probably gonna still keep going up in price. But it's like I I've never been around something like that, especially growing up in Boise, where people care that much about their craft that they mm-hmm. like have dedicated. 80 years to perfecting a piece of sushi. So exactly. I'd like to go experience it. Yeah. So. And you'll be in a subway station. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what I've heard is that it's kind of hard to find too. And it's so funny. Like I think a lot of Americans go there with these super high expectations that it's going to be, you know, the best food they've ever eaten or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look on Yelp and there's like one star reviews and it's like, this is terrible. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I think you have to like appreciate the culture along with the food too. To, yeah. I don't know. I know. I, uh, whenever I think about going to really any East Asian country, I just think about literally just eating my way through yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah. all the different markets, street markets, which I know you probably have to be a little bit careful about with some of the stuff. But I mean, it's just, I like, this might be stereotypical because obviously I am Asian, but like, <laughs> I love, I love Asian. It's like my favorite food. And I yeah. think part of it is, People like to maybe group it in the same thing, but it's so like different from yeah. each other. Like Thai food is so different from Japanese food. Japanese food is so different from Korean food. It's yeah. even though it's kind of all in general, what people would say is the same realm. It's very different. Yeah. So. yeah it is funny how you can go to like a Chinese restaurant in America and they serve sushi. Like mm-hmm. there's like a sushi option on the menu. It's yeah. Like, I don't think that they do that there maybe they do i don't know yeah there's also a burger option oh yeah yeah there's always a burger option (laughs) even at like mexican restaurants yeah there's like a oh for sure yeah it's like i don't like burritos i'm gonna have a i think that would be like a funny sort of food review for people to do is like go to restaurants and order that thing that's not like the main thing on the menu exactly (laughs) just like go to like a japanese chinese whatever restaurant mexican restaurant and like order the burger and see like which one's the best that's not a bad idea at all yeah um Oh, what was I going to say? So do you, do you eat Thai food around here? Yes. Have you been to Thai cuisine? I, okay. I've 
eaten there once and then I've ordered out from there. Yes. Yeah. Dude, that is my, so I live fairly close to there. Yeah. That is me and Debbie's favorite place to go. Oh, hands down. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Pad Thai, spicy Pad Thai. And I think they like, they see us and they're like, we, we order it spicy and they're like, how spicy do you want? And we're like spicy. And then we start eating it and it's like not that spicy for yeah. us. And so they're like, they're like, we're not going to give them the Thai spicy because they're white <laughs> and they won't like it. But I don't know. I feel like I, I went to a Thai restaurant once and I ordered like the five star spicy and I actually like couldn't eat it because it was way too hot. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I can probably confirm that. I actually had Thai food last night with a couple of friends. Uh-huh. We got Chiang Mai, which is my favorite Thai place. Okay. I love Chiang Mai. Where, where is Chiang Mai? Um, It's right next to the Navajo room. Pull it a little bit. Oh, closer. sure. Okay. It's right next to the Navajo room. I don't know if... Um, is that downtown? Or? No, it's on... Oh, my gosh. It's on Orchard. Okay. Um, where Emerald Lanes is. It's oh, in that same, like... I've eaten there. Yeah. Debbie and I were drunk bowling one night and walked over and got food there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, no, they have a family dinner, and it's so insane. You get so much food for, like, not that much money. Yeah. And it is so good. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's probably like, yeah, hands down my favorite type food. So have you eaten quick walk? Yes. Okay. So we ordered quick walk. We live so close to it, but we've like never really dabbled in it. I don't know why, but one night we decided to get it and I think it was new year's Eve maybe or somewhere around then. Um, but yeah, you order like four things off the menu and they come out with like 15 bags and it's like, what the heck did I get? (laughs) And I didn't realize that there's all the like. I don't know if, if you get like the cabbage soup stuff, it comes mm-hmm. with like extra noodle, like crunchy right. noodles that you can put on like all these different things that, that go together. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah. I think that's like pretty much any Asian restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's going to be a ton of stuff. Well, I, so I've only eaten Korean barbecue maybe once or twice. Mm. And I know that a new Korean barbecue place opened up. Yes. Like right before COVID happened. Right. And I assume that they're probably closed. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, I'm going to guess probably. Do you, I think know, do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's called Magnificent Garden oh, or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. It's um, next to the mall. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I went there once. I was stupid and didn't do the Korean barbecue option because I was just, I was hanging out with a friend and I we just wanted to try a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to go back there and try their Korean barbecue. Their food was okay. I yeah. don't know. Like, I've, I mean... I think they kind of suffer from wanting to make a ton of different foods that maybe aren't available here. Uh Um, But they kind of, at least the things that I had fell a little bit short of where it could be, but I didn't have their Korean barbecue. And I'm, I was so excited that they like someone was doing Korean barbecue. So, so I have, Oh, okay. So this is one of the people that I met who, whose husband was deployed in Korea Oh, and she ended up marrying him and she's from Korea, South Korea. Um, her name's Sue and she cuts my hair. Oh. And so like uh, she's hilarious because sometimes I can't understand what she says sure. and she like just rambles on for the longest time and I'm like I mean she's the nicest lady in the world but it's just <laughs> like a hilarious dynamic sure. that um but she was the one who told me about that place opening up and that she didn't like the other Korean barbecue place on Broadway. Okay. And she didn't talk very highly of it and she said like the next closest one was too far away. So she was very excited for magnificent garden. And I think she knew that the people that were opening it. But, yeah. But. I think they own a couple of other things too in okay. town, but um, this was the first, cause I know like as far as like Korean barbecue, this was the first one that like, is sort of that authentic experience. I think where you have a grill at your table oh, and yeah. like, they just bring you out like raw meats and you cook it yourself. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, I think the other places like they cook it for you and just like comes out, but, um, 
if anybody wants to get authentic, delicious Korean food, you have to go to Mr. Wok. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mr. Wok on Vista. Oh, man. Say. It's right next to, oh my gosh. Jumpin' Janet's. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly where it is because my favorite bar used to be in that location. Oh. And then it closed and then Mr. Walk opened up. But I didn't know that it was that great. So I'll, yeah. I'll have to go check it out. It looks super sketch. Yeah. So <laughs> like you see the sketch place and it's like right next to a gas station. Like yeah. they pretty much share the same parking lot. Yeah. But the people there, oh my gosh, the food is so good. Yeah. They're so, you can totally tell like they, um, I think they came here from California, but um, like it's super authentic food. I would say like it, it tastes like food like my mom would cook. So it yeah. like feels super nostalgic for me yeah they also opened like a von's chicken which is like a, a korean fried chicken chain oh my gosh um yeah and they have this chicken and it's called well so it's called nyang yum i probably butchered that like pronunciation but um it's sort of a like sweet spicy fried chicken yeah and korean fried chicken is so legit because what they do is they double fry it oh my god and so it's so <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah. so it's cool because you can like get like whatever traditional entree, but then you can also get like the fried chicken there. So yeah, whenever I go with friends over there, that's what we do. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be, I think it used to be called the plank and then oh. it was called Woody's. And I mean, it, I don't know if it changed owners or something. Um, and I thought that they were doing well cause I used to go there all the time, mm-hmm. but they used to have, um, what I consider the best deal in Boise, oh. it was you could get a pitcher of beer, and I always ordered Coors Light, of course, <laughs> and then you could get a hot dog and French fries, and they would spiral cut the hot dog. So you have you ever had that where they do Yes, that? okay. And then they toast the bun, and you they would put um, grilled onions on it, oh. and all of that with the French fries too, it was eight bucks. What? And it was ridiculous. And one of my buddies started working there when we were in college, and so that's why we how I discovered that place. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to have to go try the, so yes. the, is the Vons in the same location? Then? Yes. It's okay. like the same people. It's just, they, I don't know if they wanted that name since it has some notoriety, I think in California. So, yeah. but, um, Mr. Walk and Vons are at the same place. So. so is it actually a chain? Like, is mm-hmm. it part of the chain? I think so. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I think there's Vons chicken in California. Yeah. And so they, I guess they franchised up here. So cool. Yeah. Awesome so good right on it's cool because like i would even say maybe three years ago there was like no korean yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and now there's like three or four and i think that's probably the same for a lot of other ethnic cuisines too so i like that boise's kind of trending that way yeah i uh we love so so we love mexican food and Mm -hmm. that's probably like I always tell people that I was like Mexican in a past life because I love the language. I love the culture. I love the people. And I especially love the food. Like Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with Mexican food. And I think that there's two kind of types of Mexican food. There's like the Americanized version. And then there's Andrade's. Mm. Have you been to Andrade's? Yes. Which it, to me, it seems like super authentic because they have things that you don't see at other Mexican restaurants. Sure. And especially like the different kinds of cheese and the different vegetables you see. And then... As a side, they give you um, potatoes more than they give you rice. Oh. So it's like, I don't know. It just seems like different. And sure. the, I mean, I've talked to the owners and they're from, I forget what town they're from in Mexico, but his slogan is, my competition is in Mexico. <laughs> but <laughs> That is uh, perfect. Yeah. I don't, do you like Mexican food? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I uh, Growing up, I did not um, 
No, I, I guess I couldn't say that I didn't like Mexican food. I just wasn't exposed to it very much. Yeah. So my parents growing up, which end up now that I look back, was a really nice thing. But we hardly ever went out to restaurants. Like my parents would just cook all the time. And yeah. they were amazing cooks. So. Well, it sounds like your mom made good Korean yeah. food. Yeah. Yeah. And also, weirdly enough, my mom made like some of the best Italian food I've ever had. Like, nice. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, and my dad growing up in the South, um, he grew up in South Carolina. Uh-huh. So we, I remember growing up, we had like fried chicken at least like once a week. Yeah. He like loved it. And so like I grew up with like, fried chicken and collard greens and black eyed peas and like yeah. cabbage. And then like, it wouldn't be unusual for me to also have like kimchi or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that on the same plate. Yeah. Um, well, what do they call that? What do they call that in like at Korean barbecue places where you have like a bunch of little oh, side dishes? Banchan. Banchan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 No. And that's sort of the cool thing about it. And why I probably have a weird, I think I've talked to you about this. I think we have. Yeah. How yeah. <laughs> I have like a weird like food thing when it comes to like, sitting down and like wanting a bunch of different things. So like growing up, I had like banchan all the time, like yeah. for meals. And so I had all these like different little side dishes. Yeah. And so it sort of, um, helped with my satiation of like having all these like different dishes or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's cool just because it's obviously it's uh, fun to have different kinds of food. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah, at yeah. Once, so yeah. 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 I, uh, it's funny. You, you, yeah, you and I had a long conversation. I think we were texting back and forth about it. But I, I ate a certain way in college that was very difficult for me to get away from. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, like, I'm not naturally a big guy. Mm-hmm. And I had to work so hard to keep weight on. And it was like, like I would go to bed so uncomfortably full. And I got used to that feeling. Mm. And now it's weird for me to go to bed like kind of hungry. Mm. And it's almost like uncomfortable for me to do that. Right. Yeah. And it, which I think a lot of football players struggle with when they get done because, I mean, you're burning so many calories all day and you're in the weight room and at practice and all these things. And like in between, you're just shoveling food into your mouth. And then a lot of people have issues when they get done where they can't control that anymore and they're not burning as many calories. And so a lot of guys end up super unhealthy after after football. Yeah. But, I can totally relate to that. I feel like probably only in the last couple of years, I've kind of really understood what being hungry actually yeah, yeah, feels yeah. like. <laughs> um, Cause I, I, I think I've always had kind of a beast appetite ever since I was like young. So yeah. I don't ever remember a time where I didn't want to like eat a good portion of yeah. food. Yeah. Um, and so I think my parents were able to regulate that a little bit better when I was younger just because they would be like, okay, you can't eat this fried chicken unless you eat all of the vegetables oh, on your yeah, plate yeah. first. Yeah. So I had like little rules like that, but oh man, I've had like such a crazy history with food and a weird relationship with food yeah. and um, trying to mentally not think about like food being the first priority whenever I'm like happy or sad or like yeah, <laughs> all yeah, these yeah. like yeah. different emotions. Yeah. It's hard to kind of get out of that, but yeah, yeah, I can totally get where that that's how I am at work too. Um, like if I have, if I'm having a bad day at work, I'll go to the vending machine and get like pretzels. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why it's like some emotional support thing that like, it's like, all right, screw it. I'm having a bad day. I might as well, you know, crack mm-hmm. these open, but I don't know. I it's, it's, if I can control it, I do feel better in the long run, but it's like that short-term gratification that like, you know, I need to control, but sometimes it's very difficult to control. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, uh, I feel like it's probably going to be an issue that I'm just, I've, um, 
understood that it's probably just going to be an issue I have to deal with for the rest of my life yeah. and like be okay with that and just realize that is just what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's just about finding that, I guess, diet or lifestyle that maybe can allow you to eat that way, yeah. but doesn't have such like consequences yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, so we were talking about the RP thing and I've, I've gone on that a few times and I've gone super strict with it. But then it's like I get off of it and I just I go eat fast food and I get fruity pebbles and I get candy mm-hmm. and ice cream and stuff. And it's like, okay, I need to find a healthy balance between, you know, zero carbs and all the carbs, like right. somewhere right in the middle. And I think I'm getting better at, you know, you give yourself a little treat, but you don't just because you did that, it doesn't mean that the day has to spiral out of control or whatever. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I think being mindful of when you have treats like that, because for me and probably I guess for you too, like um, when you have like sweet treats like that, you think about like all the bites in between your first and last bite. Oh. And you're like, do you actually even remember? No, <laughs> like, yeah, not yeah, at all. That. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so bizarre how the, it can like, I don't know. It's like so satisfying. I don't know. And it's gotta be an emotional thing and it's gotta be some sort of Freudian weird thing. Yes. That, you know, gives you comfort. Cause yeah. it makes me think of college. I don't know. Something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. There have been so many times where I'll like go to Jackson's like at 11 o'clock at night and I'm yeah. like, I'm going to get these like munchies chips yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. going to get these like frosted donuts yeah. and like they taste really good <laughs> and I'm very happy in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Obviously it's not good for my health, but yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, finding some balance in all of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so we, so you and I met doing Olympic weightlifting um, Ben O'Connor, mm-hmm. who is our coach, he used to coach at Arbor. He's coaching at CrossFit Composure now. He used to personal train you for Olympic weightlifting. Yes. And then, I mean, I know you still drop in at CrossFit Composure sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but you work out at Crown. I do. Um, and they just opened a new location too. They did. Right? Yeah. Where, yeah. Where is it? It's still in Garden City. So their old location was in Garden City, kind of close to Fred Meyer. Uh-huh. Um, you're, okay. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> um, so now their location is still in Garden City, but it's like closer to Boise CrossFit. Oh, okay. So it's a little bit closer to downtown. A little more east. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's cool. It's So it's nice because it's their own facility. So the last facility they were in, they were sharing with like another gym. Yeah, the pole, pole vaulting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice just because it's, it's our own gym and we don't have to like worry about anybody else yeah. and they can, you know, set their own hours and do whatever they want. Um, so yeah, but it's nice. They just opened last week. Yeah. I need to come check it out. The, the facility looks gorgeous. And is it so Kevin and then is mm-hmm. it just Kevin or yeah, Kevin Burke's the owner. Yeah. Um, and then like the coaches there are Courtney, um, Yamada Anderson. She's one of the weightlifting coaches and, um, Michael Conroy is oh, still yeah. a coach there. Yeah. And Conroy is like, the weightlifting he's the guru. person yeah yeah, yeah. In <laughs> in Boise. State, yeah oh my god conroy is hilarious and i ben and i always tell a story i don't know where it was i don't think it was at our our weightlifting l1 but it was at like some one of the first competitions we went to together but just how conroy was going around just giving people orders and he wears his track suit and he always has his bluetooth like uh thing in his yeah. ear you know what i'm talking yeah. about <laughs> it's like who is this character that's like screaming at everyone yeah and then i i know i think tristan got his weightlifting l1 from conroy ah uh, uh, but ben and i got ours from pat 
Got it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Pat drops in every once in a while. He kind of does his own workout because I think he, I don't know if he still is, but I know he was like a strength and conditioning coach, maybe at Valley View high school. I think he's at Columbia. Oh, Columbia. That's right. Yeah. 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 So he'll occasionally drop in, but it's cool to have people like that at the gym And, and like, Con, the reason why I knew like he was kind of a big deal is when I went to a weightlifting meet and I think Ben was still coaching me. Yeah. Like all these people, like literally everyone was like, Hey coach, how's it going? Coach? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. like they all referred to him that way. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I had like heard about his accolades after that. Uh, but he's, he's so much fun and he is, he's a really good coach. But what I love most about him is he just has a story for everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's also cool because he like, when I got into weightlifting, I started following all these like weightlifters on Instagram, saw all these YouTube channels and started sort of idolizing most of them. Yeah. And he literally has a personal story for each of those. Weightlifters. Oh, no way. Yeah. Where he's worked with them or like coached them in some capacity. Yeah. And so it's cool to he, have that experience. He was like a youth national coach, right? Is I think so. Yeah. Okay. And he is, um, he is, I want to say he's a senior international coach. Like he has that designation. Okay. Um, and he also is a international referee, so okay. he can referee at like worlds and big competitions. Big competitions. So. Yeah, yeah. I God, I had to re up recently on my. I had to get my background check done, and then oh. I had to get you know our club recertified. I had to get my own recertification. Um, but I know that there's like when you go on the USAW website, there's you know your L one recert, your referee cert, and then I don't. What's the next? Like, I guess you can coach it or uh, ref at regional competitions. And I don't know if you have to pass like a more extensive test or something or. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't know all the like requirements. I want to say it's more that you have to ref at these certain events Oh, okay. and then you're able to ref at like a bigger event. Gotcha. Um, I know Neil Skorka, uh, who is a weightlifter at Fireside. Yeah. He shout out to Neil. He, posted, yeah. he posted something about Metallica ride the lightning the other day. Oh, and nice. I love that album. So <laughs> sorry. I love Neil. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. And so I, he, I know refereed at one of the AOs, um, American opens. And, um, so I think, I don't know if he still wants to do that or pursue that a little bit more, but he's like the only one that I know who's kind of been through that process. So. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Boise has a very awesome weightlifting community and it, it kind of bums me out because I wish there were more events because every single event I go to, it's like, it's such a blast and everyone there is so nice. Uh, the fireside people, the verdant people, uh, Boise barbell people. Um, it's just, I don't know. I've never had a bad time at yeah. one of the meets. Like, yeah, I love coaching at them. I love participating in them. The snake river guys. I can't mm-hmm. not mention them. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. They're it's, it's incredibly supportive and it's crazy because the, a lot of these gyms with a couple of exceptions are like out of CrossFit gyms too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not to make any like particular comment about the CrossFit <laughs> community in Boise, but it's not as like unified as it could be. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe that's for the best. I don't know. Um, we all kind of have like different environments and atmospheres in the gym. So I get that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it begs the question since these weightlifters are coming out of the CrossFit gyms, and we are really connected and very supportive of each other. Like why yeah. that couldn't translate to CrossFit. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I wait. Cause I, I think maybe weightlifting competitions in Boise are so few and far between, and they're usually all very similar. Whereas like if you went, if you go to different CrossFit gyms, like you said, each one kind of have its 
own vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think, I actually think it's kind of healthy that if somebody tries your gym out and they don't like it, they're not stuck there. Like they could sure. go try a different gym and if they fit in better or they just like the coaches or the vibe or if it's a younger crowd or an older crowd, you know, you can kind of pick and choose sure. which one you fit into. Yeah. So you're not, you're not stuck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think I more like just some of the CrossFit competitions I've been to. I think everybody obviously is pretty nice, Yeah, but it's just different. And I don't know. Yeah, like, there's, I think there is a lot more ego in the CrossFit community in Boise than in the weightlifting community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, cause like in the weightlifting community or like when you go to those competitions, I don't think it would be unheard of for someone to be like, Oh, do you need a belt? Or if like, someone, oh, yeah, yeah. if someone like forgot their shoes, like I don't think anybody would like, even if they didn't know them at all would be like, what size are you? I was yeah. give you my shoes. Like, I think that's like something that everybody would be totally down with. Yeah. Um, and I want to say that's the same for CrossFit <laughs> competitions, but I don't know if that would be the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. But I, I totally agree with you as far as like the different atmospheres. I think it's really good because I don't think, for instance, I would flourish very well at a super competitive CrossFit gym. Yeah. Um, because that's just not my goal when I go into my CrossFit gym. Yeah. I like just want to get a good sweat on. I want to see my friends. I want to yeah. Yeah, have a good time. Yeah. Um, and obviously we have sometimes a healthy level of competition. Yeah. But um it's not like, oh, we need to get ready for the open to yeah, qualify yeah, yeah. for this or that or whatnot. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think our gym, CrossFit Composure, we have it's like we have a very good mix of everything. Sure. I mean there's some people that take the open super serious and then there's some people that are like, I don't even want to jump up onto the pull up bar because I like never am going to use that for anything and I don't want to get injured. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who never want to do snatches cause they, you know, don't think that it's applicable to anything in their life. Right. And so obviously, I mean, they're paying us a premium, so we're going to cater to what they sure. like, you know, and, and give them a good experience when they come in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't say anything bad about any of the gyms. I think yeah. that there's some things that people do, you know, a certain way that could be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, we started a gym because we thought we could pick and choose the best things from all the other gyms and try to, you know, integrate them into what we do. But obviously there's some stuff that we could do better too. So, sure. um, I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's kind of fun. I love your this. gym. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Awesome. Um, I, so most people probably already know who are like listening to this, but like I go to Arbor, like yeah. Arbor, that's my been my cross my gym from the beginning. And that's how I met Ben and everyone. Yeah. Um, but I love composure cause it's sort of the same vibe for me as yeah. Arbor. Like it's a really, really good community and really fantastic people go there and I enjoy them and they're very supportive of each other. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the first thing I'm going to look for in a CrossFit gym. Yeah. And that isn't to say that other CrossFit gyms don't have it, but I just think, the focus that is sort of the number one priority at Arbor at composure. And yeah. so that's where I'd like my gym to lie. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, so I love Jonathan. Uh, Arbor was actually my first CrossFit gym. Uh, yeah. And my, I don't know if you were going, how long have you gone to Arbor? Um, I started going to Arbor, uh, fall of 2014. So uh, maybe I had just left then. I think so. Yeah. So, when I, cause, and I did the boot camp class that fall. So I didn't, I wasn't even at the regular house wad. So okay. I didn't know a lot of people, but, um, 
I had heard about like Tristan because oh, like yeah. Tristan was coaching there and I think Ross was coaching there too. Yep. yep. So, um, and Caitlin. Yeah. And yeah. Caitlin. Uh, so a lot of people, but you know, as things happen, yeah. <laughs> I feel like in a CrossFit community, there's like a lot of fracturing, yeah, yeah, yeah. which, you know, you know, it ends up being, I mean, it kind of sucks at the time, but what's cool to see right now is that, um, there is so many people in the treasure Valley or in Boise or in Meridian who want to be involved in CrossFit that all of these gyms are doing relatively well and have yeah. pretty high membership numbers. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool that. We're it's, able to satisfy the demand. Well, and it's like helping. I don't think more CrossFit is bad or more exercise is bad because you're helping out, like you're collectively helping out the community. And if you can, right. you know, make people healthier, it's going to help everyone out. Right. Um, and I, I think maybe Jonathan and Maria should be like super proud of what's come out of their gym mm-hmm. because they sparked Verdant to open mm-hmm. and then Verdant sparked Principia CrossFit to open. And Vernon also sparked composure to open. So like three gyms came out of Arbor and I don't think it like hurt Arbor at all. I think Arbor's probably doing the best they've ever done. Sure. You know, so I don't think it's a bad thing. Like uh, you get more people interested and maybe some people grow out of it. And then there's always new kids coming in and Mm -hmm. especially like the college crowd. Yeah. Um, I know Arbor gets some of those kids and we get some of those kids and Vernon especially gets some of those kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cause even crown sort of came out of, Verdant and Boise CrossFit. Oh yeah. Um, oh, because Chris was yeah. Chris originally coach. Yeah, and he was a coach at Verdant, right? Yep, and, yep. Well, he originally owned, I forgot what CrossFit gym. Oh, up uh, uh, Rally Point. No, not Rally Point. It wasn't Rally Point. I forget what the name of it was. Oh yeah, I forgot too. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> they like merged with the Verdant. Yeah. And then yeah, Chris wanted I guess to do weightlifting, and then Kevin used to work out at Boise CrossFit, and then wanted to focus on weightlifting and yeah. do have a facility like that. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff comes out of great things. And I, like, jokingly call myself, like, a little CrossFit slut. Because <laughs> you go around. Yeah. Because yeah. I, lo- I love the people at all these different places. So I'm like, why would I stop myself from, like, yeah. dropping in or doing stuff like that? So, yeah, I heard it, it's hard to implement that mindset into your life where more people being successful isn't detrimental to you. Right. You know? And so, and sometimes it's like, you see someone else being successful and it's like, well, why, why can't I be like that? And you kind of get envious or, or whatever, but it's like, there's enough for it to go around for everyone. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, damaging to anyone else. If, uh, if one gym's successful and I don't know, I feel like it's good for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all part of a, I think maybe what we forget sometimes is we're all part of a collective effort to make people feel good and yeah. Like healthier. Yeah. Um, and we have people who move locations or, you know, we have people that were commuting from like Hill Road over to our gym. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? I think we're just going to go to a gym closer to us. And I was like, if that's good for you guys, I'm happy. I'm mm-hmm. not like mad that you're going to yeah. leave. Like, I hope you drop in every once in a while, but sure. It's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I, I, uh, it's it's hard because obviously with CrossFit gyms, it's a different model from like regular Globo gyms, I guess. Yeah. Um, because you are sort of um, capitalizing on this relationship you're building with people. Yeah. And that's what keeps you motivated to go to the gym. Yeah. I have never been more consistent about going to the gym except for CrossFit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. I And so because those feelings are involved, people get a little bit more <laughs> sensitive about yeah. like if they need to leave or if it would be more beneficial for them to leave. Yeah. But I think in general, people also need to realize like we want you to do the best thing for you. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
So I have to ask you. Okay. Um, Olympic weightlifting. So for people who are listening, there's two movements that you do. And yeah. you have in an Olympic weightlifting competition, if you haven't watched it in the Olympics, you have three attempts at the snatch, which snatch is pulling from the ground. And then in one motion, you catch it overhead and you stand up with it. You can catch it in a squat or a half squat. Um, and then clean and jerk is two motions to get it overhead. So you pull the bar up to your shoulders mm -hmm. and then you pause and then you get it overhead from there. Right. So kind of the traditional way that most people get the bar over their head mm -hmm. on the clean and jerk mm -hmm. is a split jerk. Right. So you dip, drive, you split your feet, you get under the bar, and then you bring your feet back together and stand up. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do a squat jerk. That's right. Which I, I feel like you're kind of like, I mean, on a very small scale, you're like kind of a celebrity and you're like known for, you're like, oh my God, that's the guy that squat jerks. No. <laughs> like, well, that's what people say when you come and drop in at our gym. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but why, so why did you choose to do the squat jerk? Yeah. So when I first started weightlifting, when I was, so Ben was my first coach and Ben introduced me to Olympic weightlifting. So yeah. Everything that I love about weightlifting is because of Ben. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me too. Um, he was yeah. my first Olympic yeah. weightlifting coach. Yeah. Exactly. So, um. So I actually started with the split jerk um, just because that's kind of what everybody teaches. Yeah. Um, and I just had so much difficulty like <laughs> really understanding it because a split jerk seems very like when you watch it, it seems pretty like easy. Like you would, you're like, oh, you just like kind of go in this weird lunge position. But yeah. like it seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. But for me, it was like I was always too narrow or I was not or I was, wasn't starting right or mm -hmm. like my back knee wasn't bending low enough or like it was just I could never in my mind put it all together. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was pretty OK with the split jerk. Like I've done a 300 pound clean and jerk with yeah. the split jerk, um, but it was never consistent yeah. and I never felt very confident with it. So Ben had was like well, you have a really good squat and you have really good mobility and squat position. Have you ever thought about doing a squat jerk? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So, um, I started doing it and to me in my mind, it's just so much less complicated. So oh, it's yeah. like one less thing to think about when I'm in the lift. Cause especially when you're lifting heavy, you don't want to, or at least for me, I don't want to think about a billion things. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to think about one thing yeah, and like yeah. what I need to do. And so for me, the switch just came because it was a lot more, like it was just a lot easier for me to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I almost kind of like the split because there is a bigger margin for error. Yes. And it's like, absolutely. Is. You can, if you dip and your elbows drop a little bit or you don't keep your chest vertical when you dip and the bar shoots out in front of you a little bit on the split jerk, it's easier to recover from it. Yes. Then the squat jerk, if it's off by a little bit, like you have to be so accurate because you dip drive you have a narrower grip than the snatch and you're squatting all the way down into a full squat. Yes. So it takes a ton of shoulder mobility. And if it's in front of you a little bit, I feel like, like the bar is going to fall. Yeah. So yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point to bring up because the other thing maybe about the split jerk that's difficult for me is I don't have, um, a lot of strength in the overhead position as far as like doing a split jerk. I saw your post on Instagram about bench press. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. It's embarrassing. Like, uh, whenever I do like a gain cycle or something like that, yeah. where we're working on like the three traditional, like, like power, power lifts. Yeah. yeah. 
it's like my like deadlift and squat is like yeah like i'm killing it yeah. and then like bench is like oh <laughs> like it's just <laughs> well, it's, it's like oh i don't think a lot of olympic weightlifters have a huge bench you know i mean yeah. it's more about stability in the overhead position and then power from the ground sure. you know or power from your shoulders sure. i mean it's mostly leg strength so yeah and so i think that's kind of part of it too with the squat jerk is when i was doing split jerk i I feel like that movement from the shoulder to overhead is so much of a shorter range yeah. to like press all this weight above your head. Yeah. Whereas at least with a squat, even though there is a smaller margin of error, I have more time to like ha- put that bar over my head because gotcha, gotcha. I'm getting lower to the ground. Yeah. Um, that isn't to say I had a lot of growing pains when it comes to squat jerk. <laughs> I feel like it's only been the last couple of months where I feel like I've really dialed it in. Yeah. It, like and the other thing too is because squat jerk is not like typically taught even when i okay even when i took my l1 yeah. for usa weightlifting they didn't even bother oh, they were yeah. like yeah. they were like they're like yeah you shouldn't like don't try to teach the squat jerk it's well like, it's because like, the l1 is being taught by americans yeah and they, <laughs> exactly. traditionally americans do split jerk yeah exactly chinese is the people that are known for doing squat jerks yeah or like yeah or power jerks or whatnot yeah i'm just kind of like um let's talk about lu Zhao jun or like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. any of those like amazing chinese weightlifters yeah um but uh so the hard part is you i don't there's not a lot of coaches who have any experience teaching yeah. a squat jerk so it's sort of like they're learning as i'm learning well i feel like ben invested a lot i mean he learned a lot on his own right yeah so he, he absolutely you. did yeah, yeah. Yeah, he absolutely did. And um, we went through a ton of different iterations. Same with my coach now, Kevin. Like, we went through so many iterations looking at so many different weightlifters and how they do it. And what's crazy is I feel like my technique on a squat jerk is not like it's similar, but it's different from a lot of squat jerkers that you would. You kind of made like, it fit. Yeah, yeah, I had to make it fit me Yeah, um, and feel confident in that. Um, but yeah, I it's it's hard because not a lot of people have a lot of experience with that, but yeah. it's also, it's cool just because it's like, it's different. And yeah. um, I think especially from a coaching end to have that sort of in your repertoire that like maybe you've coached an athlete who's done a squat jerk. And yeah. so if you happen to have an athlete who's more comfortable with that, you can, you have all these like different cues and all that stuff. So yeah. it's, it's pretty funny because I, you mentioned Lu Zhao Zhen mm-hmm. and I feel like those Chinese weightlifters have such a specific body type mm-hmm. where they're like femurs are a little bit shorter and their torsos are kind of longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, I mean, I don't know what the, if they have longer arms, Sure, uh, but like I could spot a weightlifter, like a Chinese weightlifter. And we've had a few people come through our gym where I just like see their body type and I'm like, dude, I, do you want to weightlift? And they're, <laughs> they're like, no, I just want to do CrossFit. And I'm like, like well, it. you'd be a good weightlifter. <laughs> And I don't know what it is about those, um, you know, certain body types that make them better at certain things, but um, I think it's just the levers. Yeah. And also like they've been training since they were three. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I am like in these like dedicated camps or whatnot. And like, I realize that's also different too. That's a whole another conversation about like weightlifting being, uh, really successful in other countries. Well, they have government subsidized programs where basically that's your livelihood. So, um, I imagine if America had the same thing, you'd probably produce oh, like yeah, some yeah. crazy. Not that we don't have that. Um, the other day, I watched T.J. Cummings do like oh my gosh, a hundred ninety kilo that. like clean and jerk. Yeah, a power jerk. Yeah. Let me like yeah, yeah, yeah. power jerk. Not even like, 
And I was just like, and he's like in the 73 class. I forgot what class that is, but I'm like, he is tiny. Yeah. And like that weight is just like unreal. And he made it look like he had more in the tank. So hell is he 21 or how old is he? He's pretty young. I want to say that this was his last year being a junior. So I think he's 20 this year. Okay. And then he'll be like 21 next year. Gotcha. But to think that he's, that was eight kilos off of the world record. That's insane. And he's 20. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he still has like 10 more years probably Yeah. Um, in the sport. And so it's just insane. Yeah. So it's what I've really loved, especially with like CrossFit is they've kind of exposed like we have really good weightlifters yeah. in this country. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm totally like, I love CrossFit, but I'm, I want so many people to do weightlifting because to me, the very first weightlifting competition I did and when I got on the platform, that experience I will always like remember for yeah. my entire life. Well, when was your first one? It was um, 2018. Okay. It was Boise Barbell Open and it was uh, outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, oh my gosh, like I don't know. People talk about like sporting moments where they're like, they like are on whatever platform or stage and they can't see anyone. It's like literally they're so like singularly focused on this yeah. like goal. And I've never experienced that. And that was like the first time I've ever experienced something like that. And it was the coolest yeah. moment yeah. of my life. So, so that's funny. You mentioned that I, I had a moment like that when I was in college and I, I had already, this was my fourth year on the football team, mm-hmm. but like I had never really had a moment in a game that was like a big deal. You know, when I was a freshman, I was still on scout team. I was kind of like third string. And so I still, um, I got some game experience and I got to play in some games, but mostly it was like, I did everything in practice and then just sat on the sideline. Um, and then I worked my butt off and the next year I was a backup for two different positions and we opened up against Georgia. So okay. Boise State playing an SEC school in the South, first game of the season in the Georgia Dome. It was awesome. And the guy in front of me got hurt in the first quarter. Oh, my gosh. And so I like, I didn't have time to think. I was like, okay, I got to put my helmet on. I'll run in there. And, and it kind of just felt like practice. And so I played the rest of the first quarter, the rest of the second quarter. And then, you know, halftime, I went into the locker room. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is so bizarre. There's like 80,000 people out there. Oh, my God. And, you know, we're playing an SEC school. I don't know. It was just like this super bizarre moment. And I I had a weird moment in the locker room. My buddy Faraji actually came up, and he's like, he's like, dude, are you doing good? And I was like, yeah, I think everything's okay. And, um, like, I thought I was going to puke because I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. But then went out the second half, and we I did fine, and we won the game. And That's then awesome. afterwards, it's like my phone blew up like all my friends my parents friends it was just like one of those weird moments yeah where you kind of black out and then yeah. afterwards you're like what the hell happened like it was it yeah. was very bizarre but yeah. i know exactly what you're talking about oh it's i hope everyone has an experience like that yeah because just for like even if you just have that one moment you feel like invincible yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you just it's unreal and now like i literally every time like i go in the gym to train or do that it's literally just so i can have more moments like that yeah because it's like the coolest moment. yeah and, and it's so motivating and encouraging and something like that, yeah so. that's what i loved about football too was and weightlifting i mean i've done a couple yeah i've done a couple competitions and the feeling when you're done that's like what i work for yeah you know? it's like i put in all this effort and it you know it could 
it could pay off. And most, I mean, I, I've been very conservative with my opening lift, so it's, I've never like gone. You oh, have been. Oh, for three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Conroy actually told me that <laughs> at the last one I opened it. I don't know what I opened with on my snatch, but, um, after my third lift, he came up to me and he goes, he goes, that should have been your opener. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I love the feeling when you're done and you, you know that you put all this effort in before and then you kind of laid it all on the line and then afterwards you kind of reap, reap what you sowed. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's the same with CrossFit too. Yeah. Just, um, I think I hate to be like the person's like drink the Kool-Aid talking about CrossFit, but I never really, I mean, I played tennis growing up and I really enjoyed that, Yeah, but I never saw myself as like an athletic person whatsoever. And like CrossFit was like the first time I was exposed to being like, Oh, I'm kind of strong. Yeah. Like, and then like you realize you can Le- just like push yourself beyond Leon, these boundaries. Leon's not just kind of strong. He can squat over 500 pounds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a cool realization to have because you just like live your entire life and you, I think based on like what other people say, maybe just on your like visual representation, yeah, they kind of like already put you in a box or whatnot. And so you kind of subscribe to that box yeah, um, for most of your life. And I think for a lot of people, like that is their entire life and they just kind of reserve themselves. But I think especially with CrossFit and weightlifting, it just exposes people to this like sort of part of themselves that they had no idea existed. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. And that's why I get so stoked when I like I love going to CrossFit competitions I love watching Olympic weightlifting competitions because I love watching people push back yeah past those boundaries it's such a cool moment yeah and you don't get a lot of chances to be able to see that and like so for you I'm like so stoked for when you get a 300 pound snatch like I know it's coming and I want you to do it so bad oh my god I don't know if you just I'm need like a to... good training cycle and and then I think you're cuz yeah. you're right like what's your max snatch now? 290. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like 10 pounds off. Yeah. I I'll have to put in some work because I lately it's kind of fallen off, especially with the quarantine. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I did a lot of bodyweight stuff and rode a lot, but I yeah. never <laughs> I didn't do a lot of snatching. Um yeah, maybe at some point I'll get I'll get motivated again to try to snatch 300. Well, you're super strong and your technique is there, so it's like put those things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just there. have to trust what Ben says. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I know that was that was that was like the big thing too. I think anybody also who wants to seriously get into Olympic weightlifting, it's so crucial for you to have a coach. Yeah. Like I started with like downloading programs like from different things because I thought maybe like I knew enough from like doing CrossFit classes. I'm like, oh yeah. I know what I need to do or whatever. But there's such a benefit to having someone right there tell you like what to do in that moment yep. and have you be able to correct that for the next lift. Cause it's all part of like producing that muscle memory and like, yeah. and you don't want to produce like if you produce, if you keep doing a lift the wrong way, mm-hmm. going back and correcting it is it's so hard, much more difficult than learning the right way from the start. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When I started doing um, personal training sessions with Ben at composure, when I started, I literally told Ben, I'm like, I want to literally go down to complete foundational basic yeah. things And that was like the best move I could have ever done because for me, like, yeah, I would love to hit like someday a 300 kilo total or something like that. But my biggest thing that I want to be is I want people to be like, you are one of the most technically sound lifters. I was like, that to me is more important to me. So just trying to like figure that out. That's, that's awesome. And I think, um, so we're, we're changing some stuff up at the gym. 
Um, and I don't want to get too specific about it, but we're, we're probably going to be training some or changing some of the training stuff up for CrossFit and weightlifting. And I think that that is such an important thing, especially for people who are experienced. If other people see those experienced people using the right technique Mm -hmm. for a kipping pull up or Mm -hmm. for a burpee or for a clean or a snatch and weightlifting, um, they're, they're going to respect that a lot more than the weight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, Oh, you can snatch two fifty, but it's terrible form. Like, you know, I'd rather have people idolize someone with perfect technique. Yeah, exactly. Well, and what people like, it's obviously it's, you need to be strong in some way. Um, but having that technique is going to make those lifts so much easier. And like, it's also like that exponential factor that's going to make you be able to lift like really, really high weight. Yeah. 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 Cause I feel like a lot of, I've watched a good amount of podcasts with Olympic weightlifters and Cheryl Hayworth. She's like, I don't know, three time Olympian or whatnot. She does a podcast with um, Chad Vaughn, who's okay. an Olympic weightlifter. So is Cheryl the gal who won gold last time? Or no, from America? Um, I don't think anyone recently has won gold. But um, oh no, Sarah Robles. Oh, Sarah, that's yeah. who I'm thinking of. Sarah Robles. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Robles won a bronze medal at the last Olympics. Okay. Um, but Cheryl Hayworth always talks about like she was never like the strongest person, but she was the most technically efficient person, and that's what ended up being working out for her. Yeah, because I feel like that ceiling for strength is pretty close, so you need to be technically efficient to get up above that ceiling. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's like the little things matter exponentially more the closer you get to yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a fun mental sport because when you look at it, it seems so straightforward, but like all the things you need to think about to go into a well-executed lift, there's so many details and so many different exercises and supplemental things that you can do to improve like those things. It's, it's crazy. I, I hate thinking when I do weightlifting and that's why I like, you know, when you go through a training cycle and you start thinking about those tiny little things the whole time throughout that training cycle. And then at the end, you can grip it and rip it and your body has that muscle memory and you Mm -hmm. have to focus on like one thing. Yeah. And usually it's, I mean, for like a, a snatch for me, it's just try to get the barbell to the roof. Sure. And then all those little things you've done so many times that it just kind of takes care of itself. So then that's, that's awesome too. Like what we were talking about is everything paying off at the end. Um, with weightlifting, it's those tiny little things that matter the most. Um, and when it all comes together at the end, it's so satisfying. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you're training that stuff. It's so frustrating yeah. in the moment because you're like, it never feels good. I feel like I can never hit really good PRs in training. Like some people have like training PRs that are above their competition PRs. My PRs have always come at competition. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's, I think it's just because like what you said, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just thinking about lifting it. Yeah, like, and yeah. for me, I have to be super Zen. Um, but it's trusting that I went through the process and yeah. like my body's going to do the rest of the work. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We had a very good experience at the last composure weightlifting meet, which we'll do our third one coming up. I, I think we're going to keep it to one a year for yeah. now. And especially with COVID stuff going on, who's, who knows what the heck's going to happen. Right. Um, uh, tentatively, we're planning on doing a meet September 12th and it's going to be an in-house meet and nice. I'm trying to push it, um, I'm trying to market it to our people as there's not going to be a crowd there because so many people were so scared of the crowd. 
Um, but it was awesome to see them overcome that yeah. fear. But I think more people will be interested if their first meet, you know, is an in-house meet and sure. they don't have to worry about the crowd. Um, but at the last composure meet, Neil, uh, the stuff that happened with Neil was like, it was like electrified. Like I thought it was so awesome. And you hitting your, your lifts was pretty awesome too. But the community coming around Neil, and yeah. I think he was very liberal with his opening clean and jerk, right? Yeah. And he, he was trying to qualify for masters nationals. So I think they were putting the weight on the bar that he needed to hit okay. to qualify. And he missed his first clean, missed yeah. his second clean. And then his third one, he made the clean and the freaking place went Oh my nuts. God. Went crazy. But then I, he missed his jerk. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, still it was cool to see the community rally around him. And he, cause like, I think the first two cleans, like I think so when weightlifting, they have, they have this term called clarking, which, um, it's terrible because it's named after a weightlifter, but apparently <laughs> there's, there was this weightlifter who I forget her full name, but, uh, her last name was Clark. And basically she would miss a lot of lifts and she would just like pull the bar up and like let it go. Oh yeah. Like she would do like a high pull or something like that. Yeah. So that's kind of what people call clarking yeah. <laughs> or whatever. So for Neil, I think like, I don't know if like maybe his first lift was Clark and I don't know if he got under his second clean or not, but like what he needed to do to like grind that clean out. Yeah. And also let it be said that Neil is exceptionally awesome because he has lost a crap ton of weight. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was trying to hit like PRs for when he was like 30 pounds heavier. Yeah. And so for him to even like be able to do that, like get behind that. And like, honestly, I like he easy will have that in the bag if he like keeps training the way he does. But yeah, is yeah. Neil, is Neil an attorney too? No. So he, how I know Neil is he is a marshal at oh, the, yeah, Ada County okay. Courthouse. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that's how we knew each other initially. So. I knew he said something or he's posted something before about being in court. So I didn't. Yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's um, it's fun. It's fun to see people out of like that element, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. the gym or like weightlifting or competitions or whatever. Yeah, I love seeing people outside of work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's kind of it's sometimes weird, like when you were a little kid and you saw like your teacher yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. It's like weird sometimes to see like people from the gym like in normal clothes. You're yeah. just kind of like, whoa. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in a good way, but you're just kind of like, this is weird. Like So I saw I saw a person um who I never expected to be at this place, but this pretty straight laced person from my work, Debbie and I saw them at a pepper and slightly stupid concert. And I think like both of us were like surprised. It's like, you like this kind of music? And they're like, you like this kind of music? It was just kind of like one of those weird, I don't know. Yeah. You just assume stuff about someone. Oh yeah. And for you see sure. them every day and it's very professional and you're like, hello, sir. And yeah. And then it's like, oh, you like reggae? And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, uh, I had a similar experience where a judge that I had appeared in front of like so many different times when I was in Ada County, I was prosecuting for Boise City. Um, he was like at, I think the Alabama Shakes concert oh, at the yeah. Gorge or not the Gorge, sorry. Um, Botanical Garden. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I, um, well, you don't expect a judge to yeah, be at like a concert at anything. I yeah. don't know why. Like obviously they have lives too, but oh my gosh, I'm trying to think, uh, I don't know if you would know about this case. There was a, there was a tenant in common, um, I don't know what you call it. Not an LLC, but like a corporation type thing where all these different people would pool their money together and buy like an apartment complex. Oh, okay. And 
this local company in Boise was paying off new investors with old investors money. And obviously, you know, you can't do that. It's like a pyramid scheme. Mm -hmm. And, um, the judge that was hearing that case. So I, I did an internship for Kim Gorley and I don't know if you know, Kim, yeah, wait, is he is he, he an like, attorney? Yeah, he does like real estate stuff. Okay, I think I do know him. Okay. But the judge that was hearing that case, so I sat through whatever, eight weeks of, of this, and I took notes for Kim, and I typed it all up. Like, it was a fun project sure. when I was in undergrad. And, uh, and I saw the judge, like, walking on the street by like the co-op and he kind of looked like a hippie. Like it was just, I was like, <laughs> I know that guy from somewhere. And I realized he was the judge and it was just so weird to see him like out of his element. But obviously these people have lives and they have yeah. families and stuff and yeah. they have hobbies. And I don't know. You just think of a judge as someone who's like, I don't know, like it's such an authority figure that right. they don't walk on the street. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. Like- <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I like, especially in the legal community, cause I've, um, I've like thought about like trying to become a judge someday, Yeah. but the only reservation that I have with it is it can be so isolating cause you want to always put out an appearance that like oh. you're going to be impartial. Yeah. And so your like participation in certain organizations or whatnot. I think a lot of judges shy away from that cause they don't want it to seem like they're going to be like, um, particularly biased in any like situation. Yeah. Um, so I think knowing that that's why it gets a little bit like weird, like, Oh, like yeah. whatnot. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, there are people. Okay. I have another story about another judge that I know. And I, I don't even know. I think he might've worked for this. So are there County judges, city judges and like federal judges here or so, how does it work? Yeah. Um, so there are, um, like district judges, Okay, so I'll use Ada County, for instance. So Ada County has, like, magistrate judges and district judges. Okay. And the magistrate judges do, like, criminal misdemeanors and infractions, and sometimes will do preliminary hearings for felonies. And then the district judges handle, like, the felonies. Okay. Uh, So they do mostly everything that deal with the felonies. Um, Some magistrates do family law as well. Um, And then you... So that's sort of, like, the state makeup of it. And then you have, like... If things go on to appeal, they can go to the Court of Appeals or the Idaho Supreme Court. Um, and then you have the federal system, which is different. Okay. Um, even though each state has their own, like, federal whatever. So you have the federal magistrate judges, federal district judge. I think we only have one. Um, and I think that's Windmill. Um, that Judge Windmill is the guy that I saw on the street. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I forgot his name, but that's uh-huh. the guy that I saw on the street. Yeah. It was like, I don't want to say DPSI. Maybe it was DPSI, but that was okay. the name of the company. Okay. But it was like three brothers and they all like, I heard the whole case and then they got sentenced uh-huh. and they got like 30 years in prison. Oh. And I was like, it was bizarre because I had seen those guys every day for like eight weeks. And then it's like, holy crap, they're going to prison for 30 years. Oh but okay. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Sorry. No. And so that's kind of how it's set up. And then, so the district judges, if you appeal that, it goes to a circuit court of appeals. And then if you appeal that, it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how it's like all set up. But um, yeah, no, I think the reason, well, I was already in law school, but the reason why I wanted to be like in the courtroom or do litigation is I saw a federal case. I sat down in one and it was a hate crime case that uh-huh. came out of Caldwell. And um, uh, the U.S. attorney at the time was Wendy Olson, and she eventually became the U.S. attorney. She was just an assistant U.S. attorney at the time. Uh-huh. Um, but she did the closing argument. It was, like, one of the most amazing. It's, like, what you would see, like, on a show. Yeah. Just, like, it was so, like, epic. Like, just yeah. how she, like, framed the whole thing. And so that, like, made me, like, oh, I want to 
for sure be in a yeah, courtroom and do all that awesome. stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, the, so the judge that I, the other judge that I knew, I don't know if he, if he was one of the like county judges or, or where he was, maybe you'll know who he is after okay. I say how I know him. Okay. He used to work at Hastings on Apple. What? Yes. And he, when I was in college, I would go to Hastings all the time. And because I was in there so much, he would let me rent movies for free. And we like had this awesome relationship where I'd go to like my buddies and I would go to Hastings all the time, just hang out there and look at video games. And one day I was just chatting with him. And this is after I had known him for a long time. Uh-huh. He told me that he was a judge and he just liked working at Hastings too. What? Yeah. It was so bizarre, but I don't know. I mean, can you be like a part-time judge or, um, I mean, so some judges who were, was he older? Like I would say when I knew him, he was probably 45. Okay. So he might be 50 now. I mean, I don't know the exact rules for, cause some, I know some judges end up being adjunct faculty members at like oh, a law school. Okay. So I know they can potentially have another job. Um, but I haven't ever heard of one. Working yeah, dude, store. it was so bizarre when he told me that. I mean, he could have totally been lying, I guess. But, yeah. Um, he's, I'll, I'll try to explain what he looks like to you afterwards. Okay. Cause he has very distinct features. Okay. Um, I might have an idea of who he is, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you know, did you know I have an undergrad and master's degree in criminal justice? I didn't know it was a master's. I knew your undergrad was in criminal yeah, justice. Yeah. Okay. But it's so funny because people ask me all these questions about like law questions. Like I have a buddy at work that comes up to me and he goes, um, I don't know. He asked me super specific things about like, uh, you know, the Ahmed Arbery thing. He's like, oh. he's like, well, what is the court going to say if this happens? And I'm like, dude, I quite honestly, a lot of what I studied was theories of things like yeah. theories of why people commit crimes it wasn't super law specific yeah um it was more on like the psychology end so that's really cool too i um i actually having prosecuted for a while i had no idea about like all the psychology related stuff until i i went to oh my gosh now i'm forgetting um it was an MRT class. So MRT is moral recognition therapy. Okay. So a lot of like counselors do MRT classes to kind of uh, figure out more why people commit crimes like yeah. the way they do. And um, I had learned about like all of these like antisocial disorders and what plays into like a criminal like mind thinking like a yeah. lot of like narcissism and like, yeah. and like just also things that like. For instance, I learned that like psychopathy isn't actually a thing in like oh. like uh, the psychology world, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's crazy to me because it's hard to understand that people can think that way when you yourself have don't have any personal oh. experience with yeah. it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So one thing about the psychopathy thing, I also applied for the Secret Service and I had to go do like the background check and the medical and I took their test and I did the board interview. And then I had to do the polygraph. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So the things that I've heard about people who are psychopaths, and I don't know, I guess, I don't know if it's a clinical yeah. thing or not, but there are certain people who don't feel remorse about things. Yes. And those are the people that can pass uh, lie detector tests. And I, my, my lie detector test, dude, I felt so guilty about every single thing that I told this guy. <laughs> it's like, I was like sweating and I'm like, I want to like apologize about all this stupid stuff that's coming up. And oh like you go through a, like a five hour interview with this person and yeah. then, you know, you answer a bunch of, bunch of questions. 
they hook you up to the machine. You answer a bunch of questions. They hook you up to the machine. And, um, yeah, some of the stuff that came up, I was like, I felt guilty about stuff that I shouldn't have felt guilty about. Right. And that's what, like, as a psychopath, if you don't feel guilty about those things, like, we have no experience knowing what yeah. it's like. Yeah. Well, and also the idea that they they create emotion just based on, like, factual a factual oh. situation. Like, they're like, they see how other people respond in a situation. They're like, oh, that's how I need to respond yeah. oh, this to is, get this response. Like, yeah, yeah. This is sad. I'm going to act sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they're not actually sad. Like, that to me is so... And I think it's particularly foreign to me because I'm like a weirdly sensitive person. <laughs> like when something's awkward, I feel really awkward. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. just, I feel it to another level. Yeah. And so the idea that like I would be incapable, <laughs> like, yeah. like I, it's so foreign to me that that could happen. Well, have you ever told a lie and just felt like extremely guilty about it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And it like, I, I feel like I've told a lie and it has weighed on me so much that I have to like go right it you know yeah it's like i have to go correct it <laughs> yes yeah it's like yeah i don't know yeah it's, it's, no um the other day i was talking to my friend about this uh because i don't know how we got on the subject but they run a like uh food delivery um they're uh vegans and they run a vegan delivery service uh-huh. um and we were just talking one day and she was talking about how like this one meal i think it was like a sushi bowl how it wasn't very popular and i think i said something like yeah, that's so weird to me because I love it and apparently everybody else hates it. And um, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so that is a very like, whatever, that's not a big deal. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want them to think that <laughs> people hate their food. Like, yeah, I just yeah, like, yeah. that like dug into my mind and like, I felt so guilty about it. Yeah. And then I sent this huge long text to them and I was like, I am so sorry if this is how it like, yeah. I like create, like, I think a a lot of people will end up like creating these situations of how this person feels yeah. when really they like had no idea. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. They totally. don't know it all, but totally. Um, and that's, it's funny too, because a lot of anxiety that comes up, like I, I got very anxious in my last position that I had at my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more, it was more based on answering questions that I was supposed to know the answer to, but didn't mm-hmm. know the answer to. Um, and especially like in a large group setting, that's kind of hard to do. Yes. And, um, you know, like, I feel like I've done a lot of growing up since then and it's super easy for me to admit that I don't know things now. Um, but when you're, when people expect you to know certain things, I don't know, it caused me a ton of anxiety. And so I did a lot of reading about it and I did a lot of, um, reading about the Stoics and mm. like Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and, sure. um, trying to distance yourself from those anxious feelings or like looking at things objectively um, and what they would say about anxiety, the Stoics and like Ryan holiday is a guy who's written a bunch of books about this stuff. Um, is that anxiety is worrying about things that aren't going to happen. Mm. And you just create these scenarios in your head and you're so worried about like, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And that never happens. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, and then especially like in the public speaking world too, if you, well, you, I assume you did a bunch of public speaking. Yes. In, in well, like, yeah, with jury trials and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's like a snowball effect. If you're nervous, it's going to make you perform badly. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, I can't be nervous. And then it's like, well, I'm going to get nervous. And then it just like yeah. snowballs. And then you, I mean, if you get too anxious or whatever, your heart rate gets up. Yeah. You, know, you perform badly. So, well, it's a weird balance because you want to be 
somewhat nervous to like, because I think that like sort of keeps you on your game a little bit. Yeah. You don't obviously want to be too relaxed about it, but yeah, I, that, that is true. And like, I've had like the same scenario where I've like, as a lawyer felt like I've had imposter syndrome, like, oh. like people like expect me to know all this stuff, especially in my job now. Cause I'm like dealing with subjects that I have no prior experience. I'm like just learning and yeah. like sort of obviously relying on my background to maybe understand it faster and more efficiently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so nerve wracking cause it's stuff that obviously affects people and yeah. you're like a good person. And so you don't want to like lead them astray yeah, yeah, yeah. or like in a very, I guess, factual scenario, like you don't want them to like incur any liability or something oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that's a lot of jobs, but yeah. Well, so what, when you had to do jury trials and so you were a prosecutor for the county or city or for the city. Mm -hmm. So what, what kind of cases would you prosecute for? So I did for a good amount of time, I did general misdemeanors. So like that's everything from like batteries, thefts, um, driving license related um, crimes. Um, did you ever have like any big cases? Um, I get like big in some sense. Like I did, (laughs) I did end up prosecuting a, um, a uh, college athlete oh. at VSU. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I guess I could technically... No, I'm not going to go there. But okay. like, I can technically say it because it's public knowledge. Like, yeah. you can look but it up. But you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I have like, I guess that was sort of a big case. Was, like, your um, name in the newspaper or anything? No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> not, not anything like that. Yeah. Um, but my last two and a half years prosecuting, I did domestic violence cases. Oh, like, wow. It was my entire caseload was domestic violence okay. cases. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, um, it was, it's cool that you got specific like that. Yeah. yeah. No. And I appreciated it too, because, um, and I guess this is one of those things. This, this is not an official representation of the Ada County prosecutor's office or Boise city attorney's yeah. office. But like when you do the general misdemeanor, like crimes, some of the stuff I'm just like, I don't care. Like, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And like what, what I do appreciate about misdemeanors is generally I'm not dealing with like actually evil people. It's yeah. Most of the time it's people who made a mistake. Yeah. But what I loved about domestic violence is all of those cases I cared about. Like it, yeah. There wasn't ever a case I didn't care about, like, um, in that particular field. Uh, yeah, as a, I guess I've never, I've always thought of like these cases through the eyes of the defense attorney. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you're a defense attorney and you know that your client's kind of a piece of shit, I mean, it's more about protecting the Constitution than it is really, sure, you know, protecting that person. Yeah. Um, even if like the client admits to you that they did it, mm-hmm. you're like, well, we have to make sure that you know, the facts are all out there and you meet these certain standards or burdens or whatever. Um, and the state obviously has to prove it and it's my job to protect you and protect the constitution. But yeah, if you're prosecuting, I mean, it's gotta be hard if morally you don't believe in some of the laws Mm -hmm. and then you have to prosecute some of them, you know? I mean, I don't know if you can even admit like your personal bias on things. Yeah. I think you swear an oath probably to the city or, Right. Yeah. And it's a lot of, uh, it's emotional detachment. You like kind of have to do that to some level. Yeah. Um, just because like basically my job is these laws have already been enacted. I had nothing to do with that. Like the legislature did that or like a city council did that. And you're a different branch. Yeah. yeah. And my job is just enforcement. Like, did you break this law? So like I can like 
sort of um, make it black and white like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's like the judges too. They like they understand that like some crimes need to be dealt with a little bit more seriously yeah. than others. I think that's kind of the whole system. But yeah, like the domestic violence stuff was um, what I liked about it because uh, people were like, "Oh, did you want to do that?" Like, what's that? yeah. Um, but I liked it because it was very nuanced. And while yes, I had to be an attorney, a lot of it was like kind of un- understanding the social underpinnings of yeah. like it's um. Like, cause every, every situation is its own thing. Yes, exactly. And it's also like understanding the dynamics of dealing with victims of domestic violence and dealing with perpetrators and that there are some people who maybe truly are remorseful of what they've done and they will take proactive steps to be better and take accountability. Yeah. But then you have individuals who maybe do have an antisocial disorder and are just completely incapable of like knowing or owning up to anything that they did as being wrong. Yeah. Um, and then also like for victims, which I try to, when I have conversations with people about this, like I think so many people have like misconceptions that like, if it was so bad, you can just get out of that situation. Yeah. And what they don't understand is like this perpetrator or batterer ends up being like their entire financial income or being their only source of stability they've ever had in their life or they have kids and they can't take care of them without this like other person there. Yeah. And so to simply just say you can just leave is a little bit ignorant of their circumstances. So it's kind of dealing with all of that and trying to have the victim be involved, but also not making that situation worse for her. So, or him. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we we learned a little bit about. Um, I think I got an email. No, it's, that happened on the last <laughs> podcast too. Um, I should probably figure out how to mute my Outlook. Um, we talked a little bit on the last podcast about. Um, I'm going to edit that part out because it was I. I'm repeating myself. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh oh, it was something about domestic violence. Oh, okay. Um. So I I learned a little bit about the domestic violence stuff when I was in grad school. Sure. Um and I think we had I I had a a whole course on sexual assault. Um and I know that some of the laws were changing when I was in college okay. and I know that I think BPD or maybe it's like this across the nation when they show up to a domestic dispute, don't they have to arrest both parties? No, in fact that is something that they traditionally don't do. Oh. So like, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, if they have probable cause for both parties, yeah. uh, potentially, but I think they're trained to determine who the like predominant aggressor is. So, okay. um, a lot of people think it's going to be the, the person who calls first who yeah. ends up, um, uh, the other person involved end up being arrested, but they have a lot of training with determining predominant aggressors, which is basically like they're taking the whole situation and kind of determining who actually was the one who like was the first aggressor or whatnot. Gotcha. Um, there are situations where that happens where they do like arrest both, but actually there was like a Supreme court ruling. And now I'm like totally blanking on the name <laughs> and it makes me so mad that I'm blanking <laughs> on the name. But basically the ruling came down and for misdemeanor crimes, unless the officer actually witnessed the crime, 
um, then they can't arrest that person. Oh. Like if it's based on other people's like telling for a misdemeanor crime, they can't like arrest them just based on that. But so, they do they still have to they get a summons, like a court summons though? Yeah. Or? They do. So they'll they can be issued a citation, but that's even more problematic in domestic violence cases because you have obviously a highly volatile situation and then a victim calls in and then basically you just cite this person yeah and you're like you've been charged with a misdemeanor domestic violence but we're gonna let you stay with the person yeah, you just yeah. battered interesting yeah because traditionally if there was probable cause they would be arrested and then at the arraignment um because in idaho you don't get a bond until you go to arraignment for domestic violence cases okay um, but typically at the arraignment, they would get a no contact order or the victim would. So at least there would be a court order prohibiting the per- the perpetrator from like contacting the victim in any way. So there's that level of protection. And that's especially important, especially in domestic violence cases, because um, it's important for you to uh, sort of intervene in that act as close to the date or the time of incident as possible. Yeah. Um, just because like the that sort of level of intervention is going to prevent further violence um so it's a little bit problematic there could have been more things that have happened now like i know as i was leaving prosecution they were talking a little bit more about establishing policies where police officers would be able to get warrants um maybe faster than they normally would for these particular cases or like if they felt like it was warranted they could call the on-call judge and get a warrant and like yeah. Be able to arrest them to try to protect whoever's yeah. being abused. I know, but it just yeah. was like people were like, "Well, this is good, right? You have less people being arrested for domestic violence." I'm like, "That doesn't mean yeah, domestic yeah, yeah. violence That's is not... happening." Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned. I think I've mentioned this to you before because wasn't there a city prosecutor? Her last name was Star. Yes. Uh, what's her first name? Christine. Christine Star. Um, so I was on the wrong side of somebody complaining about something once sure. and it blew my mind that somebody could just call the cops and complain about me and the cops hands are tied and he has to issue me a citation. And then I had to go to like a court appearance and the judge like immediately threw everything out because it was really stupid, mm. but it did scare me. It scared me because I feel like somebody could ruin somebody else's whole life just by calling the cops and claiming that something happened. Yeah. I don't know. It, there is that potential. Yeah. I mean, like obviously the system isn't perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would probably say like a lot of that uh, is happens with sort of the lower level of crimes. Like for instance, dog nuisance. Oh which yeah, is yeah. Like yeah. ends up being like just neighbors who are really mad at each yeah. other for other reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that is, why we have like a very like fleshed out system in the sense that we, if you do get charged with the crime, the prosecutor has time to sort of look at all the evidence. And if you have a defense attorney, you can both like come to an understanding of what was really going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of, for people who are prosecutors, that is sort of, I guess I didn't even realize when I started being a prosecutor, how much power you have. Oh yeah. It's really, it's scary. Like I have, I have a textbook from grad school on the shelf in the other room right here that it is literally called um, The Power of the American Prosecutor. Yes. And yeah, people have no idea. Yeah. And luckily, it's been my experience. Most of the people that I know who are prosecutors take that very seriously. Super ethical about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because, um, yeah, at, 
at the end of the day, we're dealing with people who have completely different versions of what happened and you don't know for sure. Like you can gather evidence and be like, well, I believe this because here's the evidence that I believe proves beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is guilty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the best solution we have. Yeah. But, um, it's not a perfect solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think people take for granted that, especially the American judicial system. I mean, I know it's adversarial versus like fact finding, I guess like in Britain, they have like a fact finding thing. And sure. Even the prosecutors and defense attorneys kind of try to work together just to figure out what exactly happened. Right. Um, but yeah, as an American, I feel like people should feel pretty proud that they are very protected under the constitution and the burden is on the state and your defense attorney will do whatever they can to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, it, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And like, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I feel like maybe 90%, 95% of the crimes that are charged with people, people are usually guilty of oh, like, yeah, I just, yeah. well, in like in misdemeanors where it's kind of like a little bit lower level, like yeah. whatnot. Um, but it's the but, whole, it's the whole thing of you'd rather have, one guilty person go free than one innocent person go to prison. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, that's the other thing too. Like you had mentioned earlier with a lot of the defense attorneys that I work with, a lot of them are very good and their goal isn't necessarily that like, that this person is like innocent. Their goal is to get like the best outcome for them. Yeah. And what you said, hold the state to the constitutional like requirements that they need to be abiding by. Yeah. Cause that sort of, that definitely is like the glue and the cornerstone of what makes this work is like, we're like, you're making sure that they're abiding by that. So yeah. Um, like I appreciate that function for yeah. sure. But yeah, yeah, in general, I'm just, I was obviously a little bit jaded with all that stuff because I'm glad I got out of prosecution in the sense that I had so many people, lie to me you know what oh, I mean? like they're just yeah. and um that's another like maybe disconnect i and you too like it would be very hard for us to lie to someone yeah and like feel okay about it yeah but i met so many people who had no problem yeah. looking you straight in the eye and just like lying to well you, and you're so. you're almost like a i mean i guess you kind of are a law enforcement officer yeah in, in a way yeah um but like cops and attorneys they see people on their worst days of their life. Yes. You know, and that's got to be hard. I mean, that probably weighs on you when you see someone um, like, like every single time you see them, they just don't want to be there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. It was hard to balance that, balance that all too, because I think also being a good prosecutor is you have to retain that human element because if you become too like, um, irreverent to things, you sort of just put people in a box too. You're kind yeah. of like whatever you like do things like everybody else does, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, except for speeding, everybody <laughs> speeds. Oh, yeah. so don't t- like when people are like, I would never speed. I'm like, well, that's instantly yeah, a lie. Yeah, yeah, but anyways, yeah. outside of that, you need to retain that like human element to be able to be like to I guess be able to like see evidence and from a very objective level. Yeah. Um. So it's important to sort of have all of those things things in line yeah and i think um you you know i've i've ran into some cops who are very forgiving and i've done ride-alongs with a couple of my buddies who are cops Mm -hmm. and they seem extremely forgiving for like texting and driving um speeding it's like stuff there like i rode along with one of my buddies and he said i'm not going to pull somebody over for something that i do you know 
I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was it kind of made me feel better about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, not that I'm saying texting and driving is okay because obviously they just passed a law mm-hmm. saying that you can't do it, um, and I think it's going to save lives. Um, but like, there was a guy we were driving over by the mall, and there was a guy trying to cross like two lanes of traffic, and it was rush hour, and my buddy just rolls the windows down, and he like flips on the siren real quick. You know how they go the they mm-hmm. do that like whoop yeah thing, and. <laughs> And the guy rolled his window down and my buddy just yells at him and he goes, quit being an idiot. Quit driving like an idiot. <laughs> and he didn't even like pull him over or anything. But yeah, I mean, what's it going to do to stop that guy and give him a ticket for yeah. like stopping traffic or something when it was like gridlocked and yeah, I don't know it. Yeah. Having the human element does make me feel a little bit better. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it's, yeah, it's, it's a hard, especially with like traffic infractions. I can tell you the people that I've seen who are the angriest or like mad have been like traffic court people, oh, like yeah. not any of the misdemeanor like <laughs> people that I prosecuted. Yeah. It was the people who had traffic tickets and they are, they're so like, they're like on a mission to like destroy this like cop or like their yeah. reputation or whatnot. And like, be like this. And like, ultimately for a lot of them, they just wanted a sounding board for uh, someone. Yeah. And so even though I didn't necessarily want to, I would just be like, okay, tell me what happened. And like, a lot of the times they would like get it off their chest and like, it'd be fine. And we'd come to some sort of resolution. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people get so angry about traffic. Would people always defend themselves or for like a, for like a misdemeanor traffic thing? Would somebody bring in a, a defense attorney? So, so traffic citations are technically not criminal. Oh, um, okay. They're like civil in nature. So it's like just a civil penalty, but you can still get a misdemeanor for some for some. So like, for inattentive driving or reckless driving, yeah. which would be like more than just a, a traffic violation. Like yeah. there's a lot of things involved with that. So for misdemeanors, people could get like, if they qualified like a public defender or they could get a defense attorney's. I've had some people retain a private attorney for a traffic citation, but I'm like, <laughs> dude, you've already paid you're, them more than you're what the wasting ticket. your money. Yet. Yeah. And I was just like, they're not doing anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, like I've, Whatever, if it makes you feel more comfortable to have a, an attorney, sure. Yeah. But like, honestly, it's like you're gonna get the same thing as if you get an attorney or not, because like the stakes aren't that like. Yeah. I mean, people are like people are like, well, you're just gonna have to like waste your time in court if they want to take it to a court trial, and yeah. I'm just like, I'm already here, dude. <laughs> like, like this is my job. Like, it's not like any like thing off me like i i'll do this anyway yeah um but yeah hiring an attorney for that i'm just kind of like mm. unless you like i don't know unless you're like petrified to deal with anything with yeah it. and yeah. sometimes like you know some attorneys know how to like request discovery which is like requesting evidence and like so they know how to do all of that stuff and you'll be able to like get it and they'll be able to sit down with you and talk to you about the evidence and whether they believe that you would be successful or not. Gotcha. So obviously there's something beneficial about that. But also, even if you're, it's called pro se, like if you're representing yourself, you can request yeah. that evidence too and kind of go on that. Yeah. I do not suggest to people, because I've had so many people do this, <laughs> but people like to go on YouTube and like do all these like tutorials about how they get out of their traffic tickets. And yeah. it like never works. Oh yeah. And it just makes everyone angry. So <laughs> <I could> just, <laughs> just take it and pay the Yeah, fine. exactly. Because yeah. there are some people that like they've sort of explained to me the situation and like, I'm a reasonable person. Like at the end of the day, like a lot of the prosecutors you deal with are reasonable people too. And like your buddy who's a police officer, yeah, we like get it. So like if you explain the situation and you have like 
a reasonable or if you have like a, a really good defense as to like why you did something like we're open to hearing it because we obviously want to get to some sort of good point too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're not like out to get everyone cause that doesn't help anyone. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Um, Leon, if you can believe it, we've done over an hour and 30 minutes. Whoa. Uh, yeah. It <laughs> flies by. Um, so I, I know you've listened to maybe an episode or two so mm-hmm. far. Um, so I've been giving people the last word. Okay. So I don't know if you have anything prepared. Okay. Um, but I will I will give you the last word if you want to throw something out into the universe for whoever's listening to this. Okay. Last word. Um, I will say this. Keep this in mind. Live authentically. Love unconditionally. That is awesome. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All right.